good afternoon to everybody. I'm immensely thankful to all of you uh, to find time this afternoon to attend this uh, event, to hear the interaction and the thoughts of one of the iconic face of Indian journalism, Radhisattva who will be in conversation with another very distinguished face of Indian journalism, Puranjoy Thakurda, who also happens to be an author of a book on Indian elections. As some of you know that Rajdeep has recently published this book, which has uh, already become a bestseller, right? And uh, the last time I saw Rajdeep uh, was at Siriput Auditorium, where he was uh, anchoring an event with uh, Dan Brown, the famous author of the Da Vinci Code, and they recently that his book has kind of uh, selling uh, more than Sachin Tendulkar's autobiography. So he's ahead of his fellow Marathi brother. Uh, uh, I would like to thank Radhip for agreeing to uh, come over here to this event. It is of uh, immense source of inspiration, particularly for students, to meet someone like Radhip Satisai. Uh, not just because that he is uh, uh, at a time when our country is supposed to be governed by somebody with a 56 inch of chest. I think Radhip is one journalist with a 66 inch of chest who has been dealing with various political forces uh, for the past 25 years plus. Uh, one of the extraordinary things about Rajdeep is that, that uh, he is someone who has struggled in both print as well as uh, television journalism. Uh, he is not just a top anchor. Uh, one of the special things that I appreciate in a university like this, which has just uh, completed his, uh, its convocation, the value of certificate, he is the son of a cricketer who chose a profession of journalism which is of his calling and excelled on that in a country where a fairly good number of people have started believing that it's the profession of their father and mother they should choose. Uh, he is a very, very unique and inspiring example from that point of view. So he's certainly a very glowing counterexample to the system of dynasty that has uh, penetrated into politics, Bollywood, business, uh, probably crime and almost every domain of Indian society today. Uh, I am immensely thankful to our Vice Chancellor, Professor Talat Ahmed, uh, who despite his busy schedule has agreed to chair this particular event. Uh, Professor Ahmed, as you know, is a professional scientist, but he also has a very keen eye on political developments, so he has been asking very tough questions to me in the background when I was meeting him to persuade him to come here. And uh, thankful to Puranjoy, uh, with whom Radhi will be having a conversation. And uh, Puranjoy is a distinguished journalist who has recently written a very powerful book called The Gas Wars, which he has published. If you have a chance to visit any bookstore, do buy his book. Uh, my personal suggestion to all my students who have been wasting their lot of money buying, watching films of 50-year-old Khans, presuming that they are 21 year old, save those money, spend on Rajdi's book, spend on Puranjoy's book. I think that would uh, take, you, uh, take you to a different level in terms of your choices of life and all that. I'm thankful to Professor Sri Prakash uh, for, for facilitating this particular event on behalf of his center. Uh, we will, what we'll do, the first thing we will do is to uh, release this book, uh, Vice Chancellor Ahmed will release the book, and after that I'll say a few words, and then Professor Sri Prakash will say a few words, and uh, Vice Chancellor Sahab will say a few words as well, and uh, then we'll have a conversation between uh, Rajdeep and Puranjoy. So, uh, camera? 
Hello, can you speak? We have a nice. <laughs> I'm a trained political scientist. It is always a delight for me to get hold of a copy of Books and Politics, and it's always uh, a delight for me to listen to the viewpoint of a journalist. One of the great things about this book is that Rajiv is extremely modest and extremely honest. Uh, uh, modest in the sense that, that he does not claim that he happens to be a social scientist who has kind of examined different aspects of this particular election. <coughs> He says that, that he was uh, basically sitting in the base seat in the house. When you are a top-ranking journalist, you have access to top political leaders. So obviously you get a lot of information. So I presume that he has said a lot of things which are extremely honest. And uh, dispassionately he has tried to talk about his own interaction and his own conversations uh, in this particular book. In that process has offered us an analysis about what exactly happened in this particular election. As you know uh, that, uh, uh, you know, in 1980, right after Indira Gandhi won the election, uh, the then Sahizada of Indian politics, who was a genuinely Sahizada as opposed to Rahul Gandhi or Sanjay Gandhi, made a call to Kuswan Singh and said, Kuswan Singh, who was a very loyal supporter of, of Gandhi family and emergency at that point of time, he said, Kuswan, what do you want? A Rajya Sabha seat or the editorship of Hindustan Times? Kuswan apparently answered, I need both, and he got both. So, <laughs> Rajdi belongs to a very different genre of journalists in India. Uh, so he's not of, of that kind. Uh, so when I shared this with one of my very well-meaning senior colleagues that we're planning, I'm planning to persuade Rajdi to come and do this. So he said, you know, I think the government is not very happy with him. I said, well, that's precisely the reason why we should have him here. We don't want someone uh, who follows the government, who, who is an agent of state, and that's the kind of people don't really pursue truth. The journalist is supposed to pursue truth. So therefore, I consider it a particular honor for Rajdeep to come over here and inspire all my students. Now a few things about the book, I'll try to uh, be very, very brief. This book is extremely well written compared to other, uh, other books that some of the major journalists have written recently. If you compare it, Lucknow Boy and Vinod Mehta, if you compare it with Sanjay Baru, who was a journalist, who was also an academic and written a book in which the style is neither academic nor journalistic, but a lot of masala. So this stands out. Uh, uh, the elegance uh, and, and, and the flow of the book is of a very high standard. And uh, it's after a long time I have read a book by a journalist, uh, which is so vivid and animating in its analysis and also so elegant uh, in its presentation and so coherent about it. I think the only other book that will come to my mind is a person, a journalist, who is now completely discredited by an MGR bus India the Seas Within. Uh, that's one of the fine pieces of book. And I'm planning to write a chapter called MGR but the Seas Within to basically to decode his life, which is very convoluted and all that stuff about it. So here, it's a, it's a book that has a lot of trade secrets. It's a book that will tell you how media interacts with the political class of India. 
it's a book uh, students of journalism will certainly learn a lot and students of politics will get a lot of insights and I will just read one small paragraph from page 5 and which is quite interesting and there are a lot of things which I think Purunja would probably say with all of you Razdeep writes one of my unforgettable journalistic memories is of sitting in a rooftop suite of Mumbai's Obroy Hotel with Raz Bal Thakre smoking a pipe while Mahajan, Pramod Mahajan, late Pramod Mahajan, drank chilled beer. To think that the pipe-sucking Thakre and the beer-swilling Mahajan were the architects of the original conservative Hindutva alliance indicates sharply how ideological Hindutva was in fact tailor-made for hard political strategy. Well, one Rajiv doesn't tell us is that what he himself was drinking at the time. <laughs> you know, that's where he's very clear. Uh, you get a lot of anecdotes in this book. Political scientists never use anecdotes. You know, he tells us that Mamta Banerjee sends SMS messages at 2 o'clock. But how does he know that it's Mamta Banerjee? Somebody must be sending and using her phone, right? <laughs> but uh, essentially he was trying to give some advice to Rahul Gandhi and he discusses his meetings with Rahul Sonia that political uh, life is a full-time profession. You can't have a private life. I'm quite sure Professor Ahmed would also say that Vice Chancellor is a full-time full -time profession. There is no private life here. So uh, I would like to uh, kind of conclude over here and I would request, uh, request Professor Sripatas to say a few words uh, and then after that we will have a conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Mujib, for um, giving me some time to uh, speak about uh, my views. I wouldn't go into the content of the entire book. It's a very rich and uh, very comprehensive one. Uh, so I think um, uh, if you want to know what it is, what is there in it, I think the only way is to read it yourself. Um, but I think uh, several aspects of the book which uh, are, have brought out uh, new developments in Indian politics need to be mentioned and uh, we were just talking about it uh, inside. Uh, one is the use of uh, digital technology. Uh, the way that uh, uh, BJP and then following that uh, the Congress organized their campaign by hiring companies and by uh, sending millions of SMSs in different languages and dialects, by having 3D hologram uh, projections of speeches of Modi so that he is speaking one place and being heard in 300 cities, um, the, being a separate section created in the uh, war room called the tweets, you know, to keep count of how many tweets are sent out and how many are received. I think many of these aspects um, nobody has uh, really gone into and this is the first book which has uh, uh, taken the uh, trouble of doing that. Uh, it has also made use of um, uh, data from, um, uh, from the CSDS uh, project on elections which is very interesting. Uh, in terms of how many seats were won by how many uh, how many lakhs 
and how the BJP with uh, only 31% of the votes cast because of the division amongst the opposition was able to score uh, in terms of seats. So there is the, this, this uh, huge, of course, um, as we know that uh, um, no Indian election uh, has been won by more than 50% uh, of the vote. Uh, Rajiv Gandhi's election, 48-49%, um, just approaching that after the assassination of Mrs. Gandhi. But um, uh, to win an absolute majority or with 31% of the votes cast, uh, well, uh, I think the BJP has to also think about it uh, uh, because it does show that uh, their support is not so uh, widespread. And uh, that is seen when you go to various uh, other states where the BJP did not do well. Um, Kerala, BJP got one parliamentary seat. Odisha, they got one seat. Bengal, they got, they improved from one to two seats. Uh, Northeast, apart from Assam, everywhere else, uh, they were, uh, did very badly. Uh, Kashmir, uh, again, uh, they got two seats in Jammu and none in the Kashmir uh, Valley as well as. So, uh, Telangana, which they claimed they had the idea was theirs and they had started, uh, they uh, got uh, very few seats. So there is this paradox, on the one hand uh, there is the Hindi heartland, if you like, and Gujarat and Maharashtra, uh, where um, in some places BJP is scoring 100%. So the support is being drawn from, I mean if we had a map of India we could uh, 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 you know, see from a very specific area, territory, people. It is not being drawn from all over the country. Tamil Nadu again, uh, BJP got no seats at all. So I think uh, there are issues like this which uh, uh, need to be explained. Why? I mean, I can't say immediately uh, because I haven't uh, done research on this subject. But it is... Uh, 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 a feature of the 2014 elections that has divided the country into BJP and non-BJP in a very, very sharp and um, divisive fashion. Um, and uh, I think that that has to be taken into account. Uh, secondly, the uh, whole, uh, uh, you know, uh, confusion between the uh, developmental language and promises that Modi generally grew into making um, uh, from his uh, Gujarat model uh, propaganda or projection that we will make India into Gujarat uh, uh, provided we do away with the Congress. And now I don't know what the connection between the two is because Congress also has helped Gujarat made make what it is. I mean, my PhD is on the evolution of agrarian economy in Gujarat, uh, which I did at Cambridge uh, from 1837 to 1937. So I'm a keen follower of of, uh, of, uh, of what happens in Gujarat and the developments in Gujarat and so on and so forth. I'm not going to go into that. I can uh, 
how we can have a separate uh, seminar on Gujarat. But uh, clearly the, uh, the whole issue uh, is there and uh, I think that the uh, divergence between the uh, what Mr. Modi is trying to say about development and uh, uh, all these Senas and Vishwa Hindu Parishad and RSS, I think that also is a feature of, uh, of uh, this thing. I mean, we used to think that uh, Mr. Atul Bihari Bajpayee represented some kind of uh, uh, a gap between the Hindutva rhetoric and the Hindutva practice of Mr. Adwani and the, uh, the, the self-evident uh, communal uh, politics. Uh, but I think Modi was trying uh, to escape the 2002 uh, bit by, uh, by emphasizing that he is going to be the icon of development and uh, implement uh, many promises from bringing FDI to uh, doing away with the black money in no time and um, uh, making smart cities and so on and so forth. Now all these promises are um, very well documented in this book. Uh, so I think uh, Rajdeep would be uh, very much, uh, since he's also uh, 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 speaking often on TV, uh, the one to monitor um, how they are implemented and when they are implemented and uh, uh, so on and so forth and uh, whom to call uh, when he is discussing one particular promise um, uh, in terms of whether it has been implemented or not. So I think he's done very well. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's covered the ground very well and he has uh, uh, spotted the weak points uh, which have to be uh, put on the ground in the future and which uh, leaves him a lot of room to organize a lot of programs uh, for uh, length of time and uh, call, uh, call, uh, call a lot of uh, experts uh, to uh, have uh, searching interviews and uh, searching discussions. Uh, so with that I would uh, invite uh, uh, the uh, two uh, conversationalists, uh, or conversation as they say in French, um, uh, uh, to start. And um, I'll advise you that uh, please just uh, read this book carefully for its objectivity. Uh, because uh, from Moradabad rights to Modi's uh, use of technology, uh, he, has, um, uh, he has done a wonderful job of research and not just mere observation as he says so modestly. Thank you very much.
Okay. Uh, well, well, thank you very much for asking me to. Okay. Uh, are you able to hear me? Right. Thank you very much for uh, asking me to come here on this occasion. And this is a very, very interesting book. And I would strongly recommend that all of you uh, buy a copy of it. And it's not because uh, uh, Rajiv has. Uh, Ask me to advertise his book, but it's it's surely a book worth reading. Uh, yes, uh, it's been written very soon, very soon after the election results were known. I mean, we knew the election results in on the 16th of May, and we are now in late November. So, in that sense, he's been able to reflect on what's happened and written, and, and it's fairly updated, it's updated uh, all the way, I think till about August or September? September. September, till about September, because the mention of his Independence Day speech, Chandan Yojana, among other things. So it's, it's in a sense, contemporary politics. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, Dr. Professor uh, Sri Prakash has raised a number of questions, it made my life very simple, because I, I have the first set of questions based on what he's already said. Uh, the first thing is the first past the post system. People forget the next part of that. All academics remember it. First past the post, winner takes all. That's what the Westminster style of parliamentary democracy is supposed to be all about. As he has rightly pointed out, for the first time in the history of this country, since 1947, we see a political party with 31% of the vote getting a majority of the seats, 282, in the Lok Sabha. We also see the ruling coalition, the NDA, getting roughly 38.5% of the vote. Now, it's interesting and because we can link this later with the whole Muslim question and the question of minorities and the question of majoritarianism. And I recall in, in uh, January, I was very skeptical about how well the BJP would do. And at a public meeting, I remember asking Mr. Yashwan Sinha, that Mr. Yashwan Sinha, uh, one out of seven voters in India, one out of seven Indians is Muslim. Favorably inclined to the BJP. And I'm saying the BJP is also not much of a political force in large parts of the country. So if you have, say, 543, I would say close to about 250 Lok Sabha constituencies, the BJP is a marginal political force. Then how do you hope to form the government? So, Mr. Yashwan said, it's a public discussion. He went into some, uh, he spent some time saying that, you know, why Muslims have this wrong impression about the BJP. So, having spent some time there, towards the end of what he said, he said, even if I accept what you're saying, that the BJP is weak in about 250 odd constituencies, there's still 300 looks of our constituencies, or close to 300. We'll win 300 out of 300. Now, I could. Not, I mean, at that point of time, I, I, I didn't believe him. I was very skeptical. But the BJP actually got 282 out of those 300 seats where it was very, very powerful. So, Razi, maybe you can talk a little bit about how Mr. Modi, Mr. Amit Shah, were able to, what, for want of a better phrase, you can say social engineering. How did they sort of crack this first-past-the-post system in such a way that they ended up with the kind of seats they needed. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Panjoy, and uh, thank you, uh, Professor uh, Mujibur Rahman, for having me, uh, Vice Chancellor, for uh, for having this here, and uh, Mr. Sri Prakash for being here, and all of you for being here. 
Uh, I must confess, uh, before I answer Paranjoy's question, uh, while Paranjoy doesn't advertise the book, I will. And I suggest that you buy it. Uh, <laughs> because that's the best way to explain, you know, a, a lot of the book. A lot of, you know, we live in the age of Twitter, we live in the age of television soundbites. People take what, you know, very selective uh, stuff and thereby use that selective one line here or one paragraph here to tell you what the book is about. So I, I do hope that you will look at the book and look at it carefully. But let me respond to you Paranjoy, it's interesting. In 2011, a BJP, I would call it, uh, someone who headed the Friends of BJP, uh, uh, an industrialist or an entrepreneur from Mumbai called Rajesh Jain, who also now promotes a right-wing website called Niti Central. Uh, and also had promoted a website called India.com from which he made apparently 500 crores uh, at the turn of the century. He wrote a blog where he precisely said exactly what Paranjoy is suggesting now, where he said that the BJP should forget about alliance politics, enough of this NDA politics. The BJP <coughs> must look at this election and fight this election in the belief that you can get 272. In fact, he was the originator of the word Mission 272. He said the BJP should not get into alliances. You should look at these, not 300, but I would say 350 seats in the country <coughs> where the BJP has a fair chance and put all your energies there. Forget about all the other 200 seats. They don't matter. But these 350 seats, which stretch from, let's say, Goa, two seats in Goa, all the way to Bihar and Jharkhand on one side, to Punjab and Himachal on the other, and of course Karnataka, the one state in the south where the BJP has made an impression. Just focus on these seats. And if you see the strategy that the BJP evolved, whether by whether deliberately or whether it was, uh, it, it just so happened, the focus was on these 350 seats. And the politics of the BJP there was very clear. It was principally to contest this election with Narendra Modi as the figure at the top, as someone who was supposed to fill in the leadership deficit. I have often said that the, in 2014, India or large parts of India were seemingly looking for some Arnold Schwarzenegger like muscular man. You know, that you were looking for someone like him. In any other context, maybe Modi would have been seen as a divisive figure. But in 2014, given the leadership deficit on the other side, Mr. Modi suddenly emerged as a sort of macho leader, right man at the right place in the right context. And I have also said that there are six thank you cards that Mr. Modi must send, which would reflect perhaps why this 300 figure was achieved and how they went about it. You have to send one thank you card to Manmohan Singh. Because if the Prime Minister is in silent mode, and on the other side you've got someone who's a wonderful communicator, and will use every possible, every possible instrument at his command to communicate, he stands out. So you have a Prime Minister who says money doesn't go on trees. You have a Prime Minister who is leading an economy which is at growing at 3-4%, uh, inflation double digit. Modi says, I am going to come and fix it. You don't want to test it. But he is ready to say, he is offering positivity to the sort of negativity and pessimism that Manmohan Singh seemed to exude. Second thank you card to Rahul Gandhi for being Rahul Gandhi. <laughs> because I have often said and I say this, I, I say this in the book. That Rahul Gandhi, like a famous Palestinian, uh, like it was once said about the Palestinians, they never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. <laughs> and Rahul Gandhi had numerous opportunities, particularly in 2011, you know, with the Nirbhaya incident, with uh, Anna's agitation, where he could have 
shown that he was ready to take on a more frontal role. He didn't. And he missed the opportunity. And the BJP then converted this at some stage using, using exactly what Rajesh Jain had suggested into a presidential style contest. Whom do you want as your prime minister candidate? Forget about who's your local candidate. Make this about prime minister. Do you want Rahul Gandhi? Do you want uh, Narendra Modi? So second thank you card to him. The third thank you card to Akhilesh Yadav. You see 80 seats in UP. This 300 target could never have been achieved. And I think most of us were skeptical of it because we thought in Uttar Pradesh, BJP at its best, 40 seats, 45 seats. 72 seats was unheard of. But there was so much of anger against Akhilesh Yadav and the kind of government that he had run. People said, oh, to chacha bhadi ja, uh, cha, cha, un, unke chacha sarkar. It's not Akhilesh's government. So all the optimism of 2012, when he was seen as a young leader who would lead a new Samajwadi party, quickly evaporated. So third thank you card to Akhilesh, because without Uttar Pradesh, certainly no party in India can get a majority. The fourth thank you card should go to, in my home state of Maharashtra, to Ajit Pawar. Last year there was a drought in Maharashtra. How does Ajit Pawar respond to the drought? He says, if there is no water in the dams, let the farmers go there and urinate. Now to my mind, that statement smacked of Mary Antoinette kind of arrogance. It smacked of all that was wrong with the Nationalist Congress Party, a number of whose leaders are caught in corruption, and thereby gave the BJP an entry point, as we've now seen also in the state elections in the state of Maharashtra. I'm not saying one comment, but he represented. Okay, Ajit Pawar, to my mind, symbolizes all that has gone wrong in a way with Indian politics of a particular kind. The fifth thank you card should go to Mani Shankarayan. In the 25 years that I knew Narendra Modi from 1990 to 2013, certainly I never heard him tell me that he was a Chaiwala's son or that his father sold tea. But the way Manishankar Ayer put it, it gave an entry point to uh, Narendra Modi who wanted to make this election presidential. So he made it about self-made man versus the prince. He made it and Manishankar Ayer then came to represent the elitism of St. Stephen's College with due apologies to Paranjoy who is a Stephanian. <laughs> then he came to represent in a sense that India which people were wanting to break a free from. So I think Manishankar Ayer gave an opportunity for Mr. Modi also to connect and show, look, I am actually an Ahmadmi. Forget about the fact that I change my clothes 14 times a day, that I wear all these Bulgari glasses and I have you know, the best watches in the world, but I am actually an Ahmadmi. I am actually a Chaiwala's son. That was the fifth thank you card. Sixth should go to us in the media. You know, the media, if Narendra Modi was Pied Piper, the media was the orchestra. We were the loudspeaker. We somewhere decided in middle of 2013, Modi is going to win. Or this Modi is going to win TRP. So at times we were even covering three or four of his rallies live. Unquestioningly, uncritically. And it was almost as if we were cheerleaders. We had lost the capacity to do what a media should be doing, which is question Mr. Modi. So we were able to create this surround sound around Mr. Narendra Modi to the extent that Modi appeared suddenly larger than life. He was no longer Chief Minister of Gujarat, but he was the man India awaits. He was a heroic figure. I think all of them therefore, Paranjoy, put together, created a situation in this country where at least in large parts of this country, and you will see when in, in the appendix particularly, wherever the Congress was in direct contest with the BJP, that is where the BJP finishes the Congress. Where there is a regional party, where there is a third force, where there are strong local factors, someone mentioned Telangana, there the contest is a little tighter. 
But where it is Congress versus BJP, particularly with the Congress getting discredited, then these 300 seats suddenly became, and the BJP strike rate, barring Punjab, if you exclude Punjab, the BJP strike rate is almost 90%. The only state where the BJP from between Goa and Jharkhand, or Bihar on one side, and reaching up to Himachal, where the BJP doesn't do well, is Punjab, where interestingly, the corruption of the Akalis is seen in such terms, uh, is seen so highly that the Amadmi party capitalized on it. And the Amadmi party benefited from the anger against the Akalis. Not the Congress party, but the Amadmi party. So I think it was just almost, you know, someone gave, I think, Mr. Modi in 2013 a pack of cards where everything, uh, whenever he took out the card, it had Ikka on it. He had a series of aces. And, and, and I hope he sends these thank you notes. Because Mr. Modi is not generally known to send thank you notes to anyone else. All right. Uh, uh, Radhib, you've been very, very clear about the six reasons. I'm going to pick on all of them one at a time. But let's focus on one of the points you made. The success of the BJP in converting the elections in the world's largest democracy into an American-style presidential elections. If you just again look at vote shares, the BJP and the Congress put together about half the vote. The other half went to some non-Congress, some BJP party. They could have been constituents or partners within the UP or the NDA. The ability to project personalities and personalities above politics or personalities above political parties, their programs, their ideologies. In that sense, it was very, very American. Now, the question that would arise that India's polity is still not bipolar, if you want to look at it. The opposition, the Congress is weaker than the Congress has ever been in its history. It's 44 members of parliament. The left is weaker than it's ever been in its history. It's got 12 members of parliament. We have uh, three or maybe yeah, three major regional political leaders, three parties which revolve around three personalities, Ms. Jalalita, Ms. Naveen Patnaik, Ms. Mamta Banerjee. But we also see the, I mean, how is it and, and where do you, in what respect, I know there are lots and lots of anecdotes in your book. I, I've had a quick read through it and you'll find many, many anecdotes. You mentioned Rajesh Jain. So what you're suggesting is that the incompetence of Rahul Gandhi was, would you say that of all these six cards, that was possibly the most important uh, of the, 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 the reasons why Mr. Modi was able to do as well as he did and the elections got converted into an American style presidential elections. So we forget the, bipo uh, the, the multipolar polity of India, we forget the 50% of those who voted who didn't vote for either the Congress or the BJP. It became a bipolar kind of a context. Yes. Let me be, uh, my book is rather harsh on Rahul Gandhi. Let me be fairer to him. I think the Congress would have lost this election whether Rahul Gandhi was there or not. I think let's be clear, Congress in my view, and I say this in the book, lost this election in the year 2011. The year 2011 was Annus Horribilis for Congress. It was the year which starts at the end, November, December, Raja, uh, A. Raja, whom Paranjoy knows well for a variety of reasons, because he was among the first to expose the 2G scam, lost, resigned. But starting from A. Raja, Suresh Kalmadi and Commonwealth Games, Ashok Chavan and Adarsh, Building into Anna's agitation, which tapped into this public anger against corruption. Building into the absurdity. And I really say that in my book. The moment that 
I think the Congress lost the plot. When four ministers, including our present president, Rashtrapati, went to the airport to receive Baba Ramdev, as if he was some head of state, in the belief that Baba Ramdev was actually going to be a Congress, you know, was actually going to back the Congress in its fight against black money. All smacked of a party that had lost its nerve. And in my view, the Congress should have done one thing. They should have replaced Manmohan Singh in 2011. Had they replaced Manmohan Singh in 2011 and gone with a new Prime Minister, then whether it was a Rahul Gandhi. Even if it was Rahul Gandhi. I think the Indian voter would have been ready to give a honeymoon period. We like to give honeymoon. Our friend Mr. Modi is having an extended honeymoon. You can see how he smiles. I saw in Fiji the other day. I told my friends in Ajtak Abab, I didn't know Australia was such an important country till the last five days. The population of Australia is less than Haryana. But the way we have been covering Australia as if it is the biggest country in the world. But my sense is that in 2011, India would have been ready if, you see, I I may be wrong here, Indians, if you see all Indian Prime Ministers, four or five years into their Prime Ministership, a certain a certain weariness does set in. Manmohan Singh had just had a heart bypass in 2009. He attempted Sharmal Sheikh to reach out to Pakistan. He didn't want Raja in his cabinet. He was overruled on both grounds. He lost interest. In my view, after that, he decided Paat Sal, Achaya 7 RCR, nice place to stay. It was a nice resting home for him. Now, you can't be Prime Minister and be in a resting home. And that was the moment, whether it was a Chidambaram, whether it was even an Antony, you needed change. Or the Congress failed to recognize the public need for change. They were public was impatient with change. They wanted a new face. And I think they lost the election there. So, while we can say Rahul Gandhi... Obviously, he's owed, you know, uh, uh, Manmohan Singh owes a, uh, sorry, Narendra Modi owes a huge debt to Rahul Gandhi. I don't think Rahul Gandhi could have rescued the Congress. It was much too late by the time, you know, by, tw by the time 2014 came around. So, I would say that is the most important reason. To my mind, the most important reason is that the government lost control of the economy. And you probably know this better than anyone else. Once you are in an economy which is slowing down at 3 to 4%, whether it's for global factors or whatever, and once inflation reaches 10, 12%, then nobody, you can't win an election. That was the symbol of public anger that Mr. Modi was able to tap on to say that this government says money doesn't grow on trees. I will give you money, I And the Congress had no answer. We will look ahead and see a little bit after that. But as he, as Rajdeep has rightly pointed out, never before in the history of India, for a period as long as 10 years, have we seen persistently high food inflation. It's been either double digits or close to double digits. Now, in the past, we've also had double digit food inflation, but never persistently and consistently for as long as a decade. So clearly, uh, this uh, was one of perhaps the single biggest factor that uh, contributed to kind of anger and outrage of large sections of the population, together with the perception that this was a government which was very corrupt. The point you made about the media, Rajdi, you know, you uh, quote uh, an interview I did with Yogendra Yadav, where he said that additional sort of 5% or, or somewhere in the extra 5% vote share was to some extent, and this is what Yogendra claims, was the role of the media. Now, you had voter turnout, unprecedented voter turnout. Let's accept that. Never before in the history of this country have you had 66%, more than two out of three voters who were eligible to vote actually voted. Uh, the previous high was about 63% uh, in, in 1984, 30 years ago, which saw uh, Rajiv Gandhi come to power. 
the media and here i want to focus on you know you've been a part of the media i've been a part of the media why was it is it just the search for these trps it's just that you know okay we are getting mr modi's uh, live program free it's a feed that is being provided by bjp so we don't have to pay anything it's very inexpensive is it just the belief that this is what attracts our audiences the the television medium in particular but was it just that that this is good business for us or was it also that it was the corporate sector and the corporate sector owns uh, large sections of the media you know this better than anybody else that it was the same corporate sector and here i'm linking the fact that the corporate sector perhaps never before so overtly so obviously supported one candidate and one individual you you know so that the corporate sector and the media and the corporate media kind of that played a huge role in his uh, uh, in the kind of uh, outcome that we saw you know again paranjo i don't think we can say one factor that corporate media decided that they were going to push narendra modi at all costs yes there is little doubt and you are seeing it even after the elections in the manner in which the media and the corporate media in particular has made its preferences so starkly clear i mean you had the absurd bizarre sight the other day i saw in haryana where the uh, where the chairman and ceo of a of a media house was sharing a platform with mr modi at hisar i mean openly He's campaigning about subhash chandra of sea <laughs> you can you can give the names i will not because i get into trouble nowadays when i give names uh, but the fact is you know that's open and and and, and that's not just true and uh, someone else is opening uh, you know uh, 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 another charitable institution with the prime minister who's also owning a media house so i think i think it's now become very clear where the corporate media's interests are but let me say this that i do believe that our media my media your media has become amoral not immoral amoral we have decided jo chalta hai wo chalta hai so in the year 2011 anna hazare was converted from a gram sarpanch into a national hero wherever you looked at if, if there were 5000 people we in the media said 50000 aa gaye one channel said anna is india india is anna almost like reminding you of devkan darwa indira is india and india india is indira suddenly we are looking constantly if you take 100 people outside jamia in a candlelight march and you get the cameras at the right position you'll as if say the entire jamia aa gaya raston par so we have this remarkable capacity now to perhaps create as i say the surround sound the hype around every event mr modi knew that mr modi was clever enough to realize ki if i go down this town hall concept maybe he or his supporters lady uh, lady sri ram college lsr mein if i can give a speech which will be carried by news channels i don't have to answer any more questions anymore the one thing that narendra modi doesn't do anymore is answer questions we have reached the stage where at the diwali milan which he held where various journalists were there journalists instead of saying modi ji thoda sawal lijiye were more interested modi ji hum hamare sath selfie lijiye so journalists have moved from asking questions to taking selfies so there is a there is an environment and corporate india has not done this this has been done by journalists themselves journalists themselves have become be amoral beings where we are completely carried away as cheerleaders by what we see around us okay and mr modi was clever enough to realize that no it's interesting that you made this because on page 31 of your book you talk about when karan thapar was interviewing for cnn ipn yes how mr modi you know within a few minutes he said okay 
uh, and you, uh, you, you said you had uh, warned Karan before the interview that Mr. Modi was still very sensitive about Godra and the riots. And maybe he should broach the subject a little later. And I'm quoting here that, that Karan has a deserved reputation as a bit of a bulldog interviewer. Relentless, unsparing and direct. So less than a minute or two into the interview, he raised the question of Mr. Modi's critics viewing him as a mass murderer, despite his reputation as an efficient administrator. So, I mean, what really happened that the same, you know, media, and even now, it's not the entire media. We have Manoj Bitta, we haven't mentioned his book anywhere, but I'll strongly recommend that book to you. It's called The Fiction of Fact Finding, especially now that the Nanavati Commission has uh, presented this report after what, 25 extensions of its term, etc. It's not that the entire media has been unquestioning, but Rajdeep, you covered also 2000 and, 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 and the, the riots in Gujarat in, in, in 2002. What really happened that this side of Mr. Modi was an almost forgotten chapter amongst large sections of the media and it was Modi the administrator, Modi who will replicate the Gujarat model across India. He was the person who will get this country out of this quagmire where we were sort of sinking in policy paralysis and so on and so forth. What really happened? I mean, why is it that even that section of the media, which in 2002 were very critical of Mr. Modi, were less so? I mean, that decade or so, over a decade or 12, uh, how did the media change? I don't know whether the media changed. I think two or three things happened. A section of the media changed. Mr. Modi changed strategically. Mr. Modi does everything strategically. He will even take his mother in an auto rickshaw to cast her vote to tell the world that he's such a poor, humble man. That he does nothing for his mother. Please understand, that's the man he is. He's, he, everything is strategic. So Modi changed. Modi realized post-2009 he could not win India by practicing the politics of 2002. And from 2007-8, Modi projected himself, or maybe even earlier, as a victim of an English media conspiracy. So he pushed the media also on the defensive. Large sections of the media were already on the defensive. I mean, he made me sit on a footboard of a bus, but I can live with that. That was his way of perhaps telling me what my station in life is. But that, that's Modi for you. He doesn't forgive or forget. But I think he realized at some stage he couldn't win India by practicing the politics of 2002 once he was seeing himself as a potential prime ministerial candidate. So Modi changes. A section of the media changes for a variety of reasons, including the growing crowd corporatization of the media, the corporate interests who believe that one thing we have to do is get rid of Manmohan Singh at any cost. We need someone else. As I said, therefore, if the Congress in 2011 had brought in a Chidambaram, who perhaps knew also how to deal with corporate India better, and perhaps has a stronger link with corporate India, who you don't know how which way the corporate India would have struck, but Manmohan Singh, Rahul Gandhi and Sonia Gandhi were seen to represent a left of center politics, which was seen to be slowing down the economy, slowly, and in some cases legitimately so, they, you know, corporate India did have some legitimate grievances, they were looking for an alternative. Yeah. And, you know, and, 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 and along, along comes Narendra Modi. So, India changes, a section of the media changes, and Modi himself strategically changes. Okay. You know, it's interesting, if you go through Rajdeep's book, you'll find also how the corporate sector changed. The same corporate sector where people like Cyrus Gazdar of, you know, the DHL, uh, the courier company, uh, Anuaga of the Thermax Group, Rahul Bajaj, Jamshit Godred, they were all very critical of Modi in, and, and through uh, public platforms like the Confederation of Indian Industry. And how interestingly, Gautam Adani established a rival sort of a business association to counter uh, this dominant view which was prevailing within the ranks of big business 
and, and how they change. So you'll find lots and lots of these kinds of anecdotes within uh, in, in Rajdeep's book. But, but, but on a more serious question, and I know you've tried to address this quite in some detail, I'm going to come back to 2002. But before I come to 2002, this notion of what academics like Dhirubhai Seth and others point out, Hindutva with development, Hindutva with jobs, Hindutva which is also catering to the aspirations of the neo-middle classes. How successful was Mr. Modi in, in sort of projecting this, that it was not the obscurantist Hindutva of a Uma Bharati or of, of, of a, uh, a Golwalkar or even uh, Dindalapadhyay. This was a new kind of Hindutva. Would you like to comment on this? Absolutely right. I think that really was his one of his major successes in this election. And I think uh, one of the interesting facts from CSDS, 70 seats in India where percentage of voting went up by 15% and more, BJP and its allies won 67. So wherever they were able to get more voters to come in, maybe friend-sitters, maybe people who are not that interested in politics, maybe as I say Hindu middle class, middle caste vote. It is a Hindutva plus politics. To say that this is a victory of development and governance would be a misreading of the verdict. To say it is only a victory for Hindutva politics would also be a misreading of the verdict. It was Hindutva plus politics. And it was very artfully played depending on which part of the country you are in. So in a western UP, after Muzaffar Nagar, Hindutva plus politics became much more about Hindutva and less about plus politics. In eastern UP, on the other hand, where lack of development has been a perennial issue, the plus factor mattered more. So you projected Modi in what uh, the BJP called media dark villages where even there is no power by saying, look, Gujarat mein 24 ghante bidli hai, hum bhi now the voter is ready to, you see the problem with the Congress, the Congress never interrogated Narendra Modi's Gujarat model. I have said in the book and this was told to me by a Modi supporter, uh, someone close to Modi. Modi was at his most vulnerable in 2012 Gujarat assembly elections. Drought had taken place, several of his MLAs had been elected three times, most people saw them as useless MLAs. Modi was vulnerable in 2012 Gujarat assembly. But the Congress by then, and Pratap Bhanu Mehta wrote it in a recent piece, has been defeated by defeatism. So if you are, if you are going into a battle already thinking, rather than fighting Modi, the Congress had no chance. Congress's best hope was 2012. Once you gave Modi that opportunity, and I think that's really where the Hindutva plus politics plays a role. Because on the one hand, you've got the Congress, which is seen to have been in power 10 years. Governance has been questionable. There have been major corruption scandals. That creates an element of anger. You tap into that anger. Plus, you have your traditional Hindu vote. Okay. Narendra Modi is still seen by a number of his supporters as a Hindu Hridayi Samrat. He needs to do nothing more. Ever in his life, he will still be seen as a Hindu Hridayi Samrat by those voters. All right. Rati, on this issue of the Gujarat model, is it possible to replicate the so-called Gujarat model? across India. Because, I mean, India is diverse, different parts of India have different sets of problems, its economic conditions are different. Gujarat uh, has had a long tradition of, you know, links with the external world through trade, through commerce. It has a, uh, uh, it has a long tradition of, you know, relevant, rel relatively enlightened entrepreneurship, re relatively liberal forms of capitalism. It's also uh, a, a, a state where industry has developed. Now the question is, Mr. Modi seems to want to replicate that 
Gujarat model elsewhere. Is is uh, is this realistic? Can he will he be will he be successful? He sold it very well, and I'm asking you to look ahead. Perhaps do you think he'll succeed in sort of uh, replicating the Gujarat style of development? And and mind you, there have been enough social scientists who've been saying Gujarat hasn't done well as other parts of India in healthcare, in education, in you know uh, ensuring gender equality, uh, equality in, in ensuring that you know. Uh, uh, Man, uh, nutrition indicators, even for its farmers, etc., etc., etc. But none of this seems to have mattered. Yes. In my book, I sit on the fence by saying Modi's work in progress. Modi's prime ministership is work in progress. That's perhaps the, the the drawback of writing a book four months after the man has become a prime minister. But the short answer to what you are saying is, I think the jury is out. And and I I do not believe that a Gujarat economic model is sustainable across India. I mean, we've seen what happened in Chhattisgarh the other day. 14 deaths in a sterilization camp. I mean, there are large parts of this country which are areas of darkness. Gujarat, and this is where the Congress failed. The Congress did not take enough credit for the Gujarat model. Large parts of this Gujarat model are creation of the Congress. I mean, the better roads of Gujarat were built when Madhav Singh Solanki yeah, in, in, in the 1980s was chief minister. But the Congress vacated that space. Now, the economic model will be tough to replicate, but Modi is also trying to replicate the political model of Gujarat in Delhi. That's interesting. Which is, as Prime Minister's office, he wants a centralized Prime Minister's office. He would rather believe his bureaucrats than he would believe his ministers. Is this also sustainable? This is, this is going to be tough because then you, Mr. Modi in India has to deal with Jailalita, he has to deal with Mamta. He has to deal with Mayavati and as I as a journalist over the years have realized part of my grey hair is because I have had to deal with some of them over the years. <laughs> now, as and I have to only deal with them once in a while for an interview. Mr. Modi will have to deal with them on GST. Does he want to get the goods and services tax passed? He will have to work with state governments. Do you want to reach out to Bangladesh? You have to get the Tista water agreement signed. Will you, you be able to... You know what your friend Mamta Banerjee did yeah. on one say. Yeah, that's right. Well, she walked out. Only two days ago, she walked out on an interview of me because I of mine because I asked her on Sarda. I had to bring her back. But Modi may find it even more difficult to bring her back than I did. But my point is, he's going to have to work with people who will not necessarily see him as as the supreme leader. They are not. Jailalita doesn't see Modi as a supreme leader. Okay. Neither does Mamta. So I think running India is going to be much more difficult for Narendra Modi than running Gujarat. But the problem, the one advantage he has is the opposition at the moment simply doesn't know how to combat Modi. Unless you have an opposition, Mr. Modi and, and, comes and, and, larger and than life. Not only do you have a completely dissipated weak opposition, he's had more than a share of uh, beginner's luck. I mean, oil prices internationally have collapsed and yeah. to everybody's surprise. Uh, from about $115 a barrel, it's come down to about $75 a barrel and that's... Uh, you know, 80% uh, of India's oil imports are coming from abroad and that's helped cool uh, inflationary pressure. So he's had more than a share of beginner's luck. But Razi, uh, this issue of centralization of power, I want to take you a little more on this. You know, it's said that never before uh, have we seen a situation, not even during Indira Gandhi's time, where so many, so few people are so powerful. I mean, okay, now Mr. Jaitley is no longer the defense minister, but never before in the history of India have you had the same person, you know, holding both these portfolios of finance and defense for, you know, uh, well, about four, four and a half months. Uh, you also have a, a situation where it's really three people who seem to be running the show, besides Mr. Modi, uh, Mr. Jaitley, and Mr. Amit Shah, and everybody else seemed to be you know, subservient to the 
This is the ultimate high command. I mean, this is higher than the high command of the Congress. That's right. Mr. Modi is the foreign minister. I didn't know that Sushma Swaraj was the foreign minister. The way Modi is going around the world. I mean, you don't even know whether this country has a foreign minister at the moment. Uh, I, I, I write in my book an interesting story, which I was I was to meet a minister in the Modi government to find out a little bit more about the elections. Halfway through his house, I get a call from one of his uh, PSs saying, "Sab piche ke gate se aana." I said, "Piche se gate." नहीं नहीं साहब वो आगे के गेट से मालूम नहीं सब कोई चेक कर रहा होगा कौन आ रहा है साहब को मिलने नहीं मिलने सो आई रीच द ड्राइंग रूम ऑफ द मिनिस्टर मिनिस्टर से नहीं यहां नहीं बात करेंगे गार्डन में करेंगे मैंने कहा क्यों नहीं नहीं यहां द रूम में भी बग सच बग बाय हूं नहीं नहीं सरकार बग कर सकती है मुझे सो यर इज अ मिनिस्टर हु फियर्स दैट इज ओन गवर्नमेंट कुड बी बगिंग हिम नाउ गिवन दैट देर इज ऑब्वियसली अ फियर फैक्टर देर इज क्लियरली अ फियर फैक्टर राजनाथ सिंह कैनॉट इवन गेट इज ओन पीएस You know, when his PS was appointed, Mr. Modi very clearly said he could not be his PS because the same gentleman had also been a PS with Salman Khushi. Now, therefore, you have a government, obviously, where you know that's the centralization of Narendra Modi. Uh, that that's Mr. Modi's style of functioning. He, I mean, he did it in Gujarat. Okay. And as I say, and I want to give this small incident which I give in the book about how he never forgives or forgets. Mr. Narendra Modi did not campaign in the 2012 Uttar Pradesh elections, the biggest state in the country. Mr Modi did not and I was sitting with I mentioned it in my book I was sitting with uh, Nitin Gadkari and the BJP who was then BJP president and he was pleading with Mr Modi kuch ek din de dijiye at least ek din campaign he said nahi and what was the reason because the secretary in charge of Uttar Pradesh was Sanjay Joshi and Mr Modi had not forgiven Sanjay Joshi from Gujarat base because he believed Sanjay Joshi was responsible for driving him out of Gujarat in the late 90s Now, by then, Mr. Modi was a potential just two years ago. Potential Prime Minister candidate Sanjay Joshi is just a secretary, but because of that, you did not campaign in your largest state. Now, this is the kind of person that Mr. Narendra Modi also is. You have to live with the fact. Now, I can, unfortunately, you and I don't have to meet him every day, but I feel sorry for those who have to in his own in his own party sometimes. So he has strengths. One of his great strengths, as I mentioned in the book, he is very good with young people. Mr. Modi has an enormous capacity to. in a sense motivate young people and in fact in the final verdict age group 18 to 23 37% voted for the bjp and its allies only 17 or 18% for the congress and its allies young people get very enthused with modi mr modi even in his team the younger people are very happy mr modi's problem are his peers whom he is insecure of and is the elder generation whom he has put into a mangdarshak mandal and, and and forcibly retired them okay uh, okay now one of the criticisms of your book and a reviewer like ajaz ashraf ayo believe that rajdeep has been a bit too much of a reporter and less of an analyst okay he himself acknowledges that he is essentially a reporter he's not an academic so he's less of an analyst and a commentator and more of a reporter and one of the points uh, that has been a criticism of your book has been that You haven't gone deep enough into Modi's alleged role, Narendra Modi's alleged role in 2002 Gujarat. Now, would you would you go along? Would you agree with uh, this point of view? You know, I that's why I said you have to read the whole book. You see, this is a, if you look at page 25 all the way to uh, page about hold on from about 20. the first chapter basically read the first chapter in detail it does show it it reflects my views on 2002 now you could argue you've not gone into the into the kind of detail that 
Manoj Mitta has gone in his book because his book is about 2002. My book is essentially about 2014. But that doesn't mean it's not about 2002. Uh, and, you know, frankly, to my mind, I've tried to go as far as I could without getting judgmental. My fear was, and I, I must confess I had a fear, given my past, the moment I went into 2002, people would say this book is about 2002. And I didn't want it. Not because of any fear that I had or how Mr. Modi will react or anything, not that. But because my book was not about 2002. I've written a lot about 2002 and I've got... And I'm happy to continue to write about it. But I, you know, if I'm allowed to just read a line, which perhaps sort of reflects what I felt at the time, and, you know, which is, it's more than a line. Uh, <coughs> this is after I had interviewed the Chief Minister of Gujarat, then Narendra Modi, in 2002. Uh, we came out, and, and the interview's over. It's about midnight, and we are driving back from, Amda, from Gandhinagar to Ahmedabad. We came out of the interview almost convinced that the chief minister was intent on ending the cycle of violence. Less than an hour later, the doubts returned. Barely a few kilometers from his Gandhinagar residence on the main highway to Ahmedabad, we came upon a roadblock with VHP Bajrangdal supporters milling about, wielding lati, swords and axes. It was well past midnight. Our driver tried to avoid the blockade when an axe smashed through the windscreen. The car halted and we were forced to emerge. Are you Hindus or Muslims? Screamed out a hysterical youth sporting a saffron bandana. For the record, we were all Hindus except the driver Siraj who was a Muslim. The group with swords threateningly poised in attack mode demanded we pull down our trousers. They wanted to check if we were circumcised. In the pursuit of male hygiene at my birth, my rationalist parents had ensured that I was. The crowd confronting us was neither rationalist nor normal. They were in fact abnormally enraged, feverishly excited youth, hopping about with their swords and axes, drunk on the power they had over us. Their raised swords were repeatedly brandished above our heads. Pushes, shoves and lunges towards us indicated that we were in serious danger from a militia, both neurotic and bloodthirsty. When in danger, flash your journalist credentials. Even though I did not feel particularly brave at the time, I gathered up my courage for the sake of my team and drew myself up to my full six feet. Thankfully, I was still a head taller than most of them. I aggressively yelled that I and my team were journalists, we were media, and guess what? We had just interviewed the chief minister. Such behavior a short distance away from his house was unacceptable and a disrespect to the chief minister's office. How dare they respect, disrespect their own CM? If you chief minister complain I said, trying to sound as angry as possible. The gang wasn't willing to listen. chief minister identity I showed my official press card and got my camera person Narendra to play a clip from the interview with Modi. Look, I shouted, look at this interview. Can't you see we are journalists? After 15 tense minutes and after watching this tape, they seemed to calm down a bit and we were finally allowed to go. Our trembling driver Siraj was in tears. My own fear at a near-death experience was now replaced by a seething rage. If just a few kilometers from the chief minister's house, Hindu militant gangs were roaming freely on the night of March 2nd, then how could a chief minister claim the situation was under control? We were unnerved and visibly shaken. Images of those crazed faces and their shining weapons haunted me for days afterwards. Now, if this is reportage, this is analysis, I believe this tells the story. Okay. And that is the best way to tell a story, I believe, rather than even have any judgment. And it was the, to my mind, you know, I think too many of us tend, tend to just, you know, hit tend to just give our own our own analysis. Sometimes it's best to just tell the story because the other person has no answer to your story.
that's the better way i think so that's okay. that's what my purpose was to report 2002 rather than get caught in judgmental all right i have two more questions and after that we can throw open this discussion to all of you and any and any one of you are welcome to ask rajdeep whatever question you want to normally he is the guy who asks others questions so it's about time he sat on that hot seat you can ask him like the tough was tough questions uh two questions and here is really uh, i ask you to look ahead and look beyond your book and again what uh, dr sri prakash and others have pointed out do you now see you know with the bjp supporters saying that under modi it's the new it's a second republic of india it it's the it's the uh, uh, a new india where the pole of the polity is the bharatiya janata party till then it was the congress or even though the congress was weak at different points of time so just as in 1967 1977 1989 1996 we saw anti congressism as a political phenomenon as the glue that stuck together diverse political parties and diverse politicians do you now see the divide as a bjp versus the non bjp and once again do you see bihar showing the way with lalu prasad yadav and nitish kumar coming together with the congress really having no choice but to go along with the two of them i think that I, i think that's already been seen you're seeing it in bihar but my worry for for these non congress forces they've got to change the way they do their politics it's not about arithmetic alone arithmetic wise nitish plus lalu is more than what the bjp has on the other side even with the paswan the problem for these parties is they are run as shivanand tiwari the former jdu mp said in an article in the indian express the other day they are run in a tuglaki fashion they are run like family parties lalu and his family nitish on his own decides who he is going to make the chief minister of bihar you can't run politics also in your tuglaki style you're going to have to change your style of politics so it won't be just about non congress forces comes together they'll come together for their own survival but i think if they really want to prosper beyond survival they'll also have to change paranjo i believe the way they do their politics all right, all right. uh my last question to you is really has mr modi raised expectations to unrealistically high levels you know it's not just uh acche de nine you want to be jobs for the hundreds of millions of young people who want jobs uh you've held out prom- promises already we are seeing the beginning of some of these promises uh, sounding a little hollow i mean i'll give you an example jandhan yojana you have achieved the target of opening the number of bank accounts you have to but the finance ministry's own document own uh, report said that three fourths of those bank accounts don't have anything in it zero so so it's one thing to open a bank account but if you want to have financial inclusion in the true sense of the word you know those banks account i mean they they have to be they have to be something in that bank account the other issue is a black money before the elections you said every family in india will get 15 lakh uh, rupees if you bring back all the black money that's been stashed away by indians in foreign bank accounts in swiss bank <laughs> today mr modi himself realizes and the finance ministry realizes and the pmo realizes that not only is there not that much money there the chances of bringing it back are also like uh, next to impossible so do you think that having raised expectations he's also raised expectations to unrealistically high levels yeah short answer yes i think you know I, i mean he is supposed to be you know he has become what amitabh bachchan was in a sense uh, to the bollywood film industry in the late 70s what in the sense where you know the uh, one one man yeah one man he is a one man industry now the bjp is modi modi is bjp and he has managed to virtually convince his own supporters that he is a magic man 
he will be able to cross you know he is like moses he will part the seas he will do you know he's going to change the way india is run na khaunga na khane denge you know i'm going to make india into singapore i'm going to clean every indian street possibly when you know the, the best story i saw the best story i saw in australia and haryana Uh, Singapore is not even one fourth of the national capital region. I know, but you know, I, I I remember on the day he went with Swachh Bharat. The good story was done on the state of the toilet in the BJP office. So you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I think a lot of these problems are going to be permanent problems that he's going to have to live with. And I think that's the one, you know, if I was to give him an advice, would be that you know you're setting the expectations too high. You know, you're you're creating a situation. and the the closest parallel is rajiv gandhi in 1984 when after that huge majority that rajiv gandhi got people believed that rajiv was going to change the way india was going to the power brokers the, you know i'm going to finish the power brokers i'm going to run india completely differently by 86 87 bofors happened and rajiv's dream was shattered i don't think modi is as he, 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 mr modi is a very clever man so if things don't go his way he will find some new track you know he will find something new whether it's you know confrontation with pakistan whether it's something else which will which which will all be created in a sense to continue to keep the aura around him he lives for that you see he lives you know he's a 24 by 7 politician who has nothing else to do with his life so which is his strength and his weakness so he's constantly thinking of new ideas and new ways of doing politics so i i can see him change doing a mid course correction if necessary and the challenge is for the other side the challenge really is also now for the opposition you and i in this program or many of us can ask these questions is the opposition going to ask any questions is the opposition when the parliament session now comes going to ask question about who are the people traveling with narendra modi to australia and what was their intention when they were traveling what were the kind of loans that those industrialists are getting today from state banks are those questions going to be asked by the opposition because if i ask them in the media they will say tum to paid media ho you see we are a strange country when today if you are pro media modi you are neutral media if you ask questions about modi you are paid media i mean it's a bizarre situation there the people who are pro modi are rushing over each other someone wants to be high commissioner to britain someone wants to be on nehru committee someone wants to be prasar bharti chairman they are neutral media people like us who want to just do a decent day job of journalism we are paid media because we ask questions or we get beaten up in madison square garden i don't know which is worse <laughs> so i think you been very very frank very very candid uh, in what you've said and uh, i think there's a lot uh, to be said about the way rajdeep has explained uh, his position and you must read his book and you will get many more anecdotes i haven't asked him the question about what he thinks about mm-hmm. His dear friend who saves the nation for you every evening. You know, the nation wants to know. You know who you're talking about? Very good, very good. I mean, I mean, the question that you all have to ask: What do you prefer? You know, a sass and a bahu emotionally blackmailing each other between nine and nine, ten o'clock, or would you prefer like eight people talking simultaneously with you so you can't hear anybody? <laughs> the choice is yours. The remote is in your hand, ladies and gentlemen. Please feel free to ask Rajdeep if you have if you have any questions for Rajdeep. Uh, I'd, I'd be grateful if you just identify yourself, keep your questions short, pointed. Your uh, please, uh, maybe you speak into a microphone. Yeah, that's what it's. Please do identify yourself. Yeah. Microphone camera. Please do speak into the microphone so others can hear you. I don't speak without a microphone. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So no, we have a microphone. It's there for you. Yeah, then if the people know who the, the others will also know. Now yeah. my name is Uruj. my name is Uruj and I'm from business studies department. 
My question is that uh, if you would uh, notice there is a pattern of communal tension before the elections, starting from Uttar Pradesh in Muzaffarnagar and it is going uh, via Haryana, Maharashtra and now it has come to Delhi. Kokraja. Assam, Kokraja. Kokraja. Yes. So now it has come to Delhi. So do you see that it is not just uh, the development issue which uh, Modi is propagating about. It is like at the high command, it is, uh, they are propagating development and there is uh, at the ground level, Amit Shah is taking charge and he is propagating in the issue. So what do you have to say about that? All right. That, that's partly true and it's a good question. But I just want to read out from the book because this audience may, may identify with this a bit. For example, the Congress's vision of a secular republic now faces a mounting challenge from even traditional supporters. At a seminar in Patna, a young Muslim student leader told senior academic Pratap Bhanu Mehta that he had three questions he wished to pose to Rahul Gandhi. I want to know, are Muslim youth less likely to suffer ordinary discrimination in Congress ruled states? Does a Congress ruled state like Assam or Delhi have a better record of bringing perpetrators of riots to justice? Why after 60 years of Congress rule do Muslims feel they have to vote on their security? The three sharply worded questions reflect the dilemma of the Indian Muslim. Is secular blackmail stemming from the fear of a Modi-led government enough reason to vote for a party which itself has failed to offer protection or development to minorities? And then I go on about it. Right. But somewhere, you know, I think even if we argue that Amit Shah is practicing a particular kind of politics on the ground which is different from what Mr. Modi is representing, I think they represent two sides of the same political party and the political ideology. The question is, what is the other side offering? See, I think politics at the end of the day is a contest. There are two players in, in, in you know, two sides to a coin. If one side is discredited, then, you know, uh, in, if I may be allowed to say this, in Maharashtra, for example, the MIM in the last election has defeated the Congress in certain areas with large Muslim pockets. Now, you've got to start asking yourself, and I've got to start asking myself, why is that happening? Why is the Congress slowly losing support among virtually every traditional constituency? Okay. Are there any questions on the same issue? Because, I mean, let's try and divide uh, the question. Is there anything? Uh, Bharatiya Janata Party, Narendra Modi, the Muslims. Uh, are there any specific questions on that particular subject? All right, please. Go ahead. You had a question? Go ahead, sir. Go ahead, sir. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, my name is Iqbal Ahmed. I work for BBC. Uh, Rajiv, I read your resignation later. I don't exactly remember the exact words, but at some point of time you did write that at this stage it's very difficult to change. And then after that, uh, your ex-colleague Aduba Postler wrote a very nice, rather emotional piece uh, on you and media. My question is, uh, we all remember the famous quote of Mr. Dwani from the emergency uh, when media was uh, uh, told to ban it. Uh, when editors were asked to ban, they crawled. What would be the punchline? by you for the present media or how the media has been behaving with the present government. <laughs> you know, I, I, Paranjoy is here, he's a good example of what an independent journalist can or cannot do. But look, I think in the emergency days, the government asked us to bend and we crawled. Now I think the difference, only difference is our proprietors asked us to bend and we crawl. <laughs> That's the only difference. You know, and it's, it's depressing times. These are not easy times. You know, I mean, these are not easy times to be a journalist in India because you realize that there is a... It, it, it's not often easy to offer alternative narratives, to challenge the orthodoxy, to raise questions. But, uh, you know, I also believe that the, that the journalist community has an enormous capacity eventually to also change. After 77, eventually, you know, after the emergency years, 
journalists did re, did rediscover their spine. So I am, and, and the same journalists who were, who were sort of their voices were throttled by Indira Gandhi, also were very critical of the Janta of Janta government and Moraji Desai challenging his So I, I I remain hopeful. I remain hopeful, but presently, if you ask me, I think the media itself has to ask itself very serious questions. Particularly the way we are now covering all these foreign trips and whatever else happens of Mr. Modi, you know, it almost seems like we are cheerleaders. And I don't think anybody is asking us to be that, but we are getting so carried away by the surround sound around us. Uh, yeah, and, and if I can just briefly add to something, you know, this has become particularly important because the media across the world and also in India uh, is going through a very difficult time because you've seen a great recession, you've seen the economic slowdown that has squeezed the you know flows of advertising to the media. You see the rise of the internet. Uh, all of this have disrupted traditional business models, and, and you know the, the it's it's not easy. I just wanted to supplement what uh, Rajdeep said. Yes, please. Uh, uh, we'll take that question. I'll I'll come to you. Uh, we will be. I think everybody will get a chance. It's all right. Then it's okay. We'll, we'll come to you, man. He doesn't need the. No, we'll, 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 everybody will get an opportunity. I'll tell you what, Rajdeep. Let, 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 let's take two or three questions, okay. and then you can answer at one point. Sure. Yes, please. This is news from Academy Stock College. Sir, my question is that uh, this time the social engineering worker welfare BJP. Uh, I asked Modi had a very clever argument that earlier it worked on why it did not work. Do you think that it will work next time also? Okay. Okay. Alright. Alright. Okay. Uh, uh, I'll tell you what. Ma'am, you had a question also. Uh, I don't need a mic. I'm quite loud. <laughs> no, the, the people behind you may not be able to hear you. Yes, ma'am. Uh, my name is Khadija. My question is about media, because I have worked in media and everything. Uh, you talked about how corporate plays an important role, you know, how we look at Modi or any other government. It's also about people need to change. I want to talk to you about, do you think that there is their own individuality and their own imagination of India as a Hindu country also plays an important role in how and what they are writing and reporting about? It's just not about corporate. What do you say about journalists and their own individuality and their own personal, you know? Okay. Their personal okay. politics. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, all right. Uh, any other questions on uh, social engineering, media? Maybe I'll, I'll just take... Uh, uh, yes, please. Uh, you want to ask something? We'll take a few more questions. Yes, please. Yeah. Sir, in the recent uh, Your name, sir? Amrit. Yes, Amrit. Go on. In the recent Lok Sabha elections, the BTP people came that it's the Modi era which resulted to the, this huge landslide win. So I'm not in favor or against any party. I just want to question the mindset of Indians that are they this much international with our perception of change just by left? I mean, if tomorrow there will be a terrorist there, then we'll not be, this become a terrorist. All right. So right. what I want to say is that are you? Is just saying what we were 20 years ago, 20 years ago, we are also following the same lab. So, how can you advise us that we'll be more rational next time? Oh, right, right. Okay, thank you. Uh, Rati, you want to yeah, ask Yeah, so I can quickly answer the couple of questions. Yes, uh, the, look, the leher at the end of the day is, I believe, was primarily anger. Anger which was replaced by hope. Modi represented a four word letter word called hope. He offered hope. On the other hand, there was anger against the government. Now, different elections have different layers. In 84, there was a sympathy layer. In, in 89, there was a layer against corruption, which VP Singh benefited from. Indian elections have had layers in the past and they will continue to have it. Social engineering is a more interesting question because I do believe that 
It is important for, you know, while we look at lehers and we look at all these, you need social engineering. You, you need to have the right caste combination. Uh, you know, wh why do you think Narendra Modi reached out to a Ram Vilas Paswan or why do you think they even got an Apna Dal in Eastern UP on their side? These are all examples of social engineering of sorts which takes place at a micro level. Let's not write off a Mayavati. At the end of the day, Mayavati's vote percentage has not dropped. Mayavati's vote percentage is still there and in a UP election, she will still be a factor because she is at the end of the day located in UP. So I think social engineering, however you describe it in terms of caste combinations, in terms of uh, community combinations does exist. To the question of whether journalists have their, wear their Hindu identity in a sense, it's a more difficult question to answer. Some journalists do. Uh, and I think there is an increasing practice of journalists now being... See, I think what has happened, it's not just true of journalists, I think it's true of increasingly of all of us in society. We are getting caught in what I call them versus us. There's a polarization that's taking place. Either you are with us or you are with them. That is forcing journalists to abandon the middle ground, to try and see every issue in a rational manner. Instead, we are getting, you know, we are, we are, we are being boxed into corners. And that sometimes can lead us to expressing our identities in, in not so savory manner in, in you know uh, or as I said in becoming cheerleaders so I think I, I think there is a worry but I think it's a worry which society in general today faces I mean we seem to be wearing various identities in a manner where we posit that identity against someone else I have no problem personally if someone you know feels strongly about his or her Hindu identity or someone feels his uh, strongly about his or her Muslim identity. It's when you use that identity to to sort of describe, you know, to, to contrast it against the others and create a certain and, and that can affect your journalism. And you know, that is worrying. It is worrying. Uh, uh, just two short sentences to add to what Rajiv said. Uh, as he said, one of the biggest surprises of 2014 and it's there in the book that despite 20% of the vote, the Bhojan Samaj Party got zero seats in Uttar Pradesh, in out of 80 Lok Sabha seats. And that was really surprising. Just as people were equally surprised when in the by-elections, we saw the Samajwadi Party, you know, get the number of seats it did, where, where the Bhojan Samaj Party didn't, you know, contest. And, and, and the whole uh, uh, the point about polarization that was made, George Bush is a classic example of this whole Asad, either you're with us or you're not with them, you know. We like him, hate him, but the fact is he had this kind of very, very binary and some would say very simplistic way a uh, uh, worldview, if you like. Okay. Uh, uh, the gentleman uh, yes, please, sir. Yes, please. There, there are lots of questions. I'll tell yeah, you what. We'll just have oh, one yes. more round of questions. Uh, what time do you want to end this uh, discussion? Uh, this is the last round, and then he's around to sign up. Then you can ask the question and have conversation. Sure, sure. Check. Go ahead, man. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yes, please. We'll, we'll get everybody. Yeah, you go ahead. Last round. Yes, please. Uh, I have two questions. Am I allowed? Like, yes, go ahead. Go ahead. So, uh, first I want to really comment on the development of love that we've been talking about. The development of love. Like, the way it has been advertised. This may sound very cliche, but, uh, I mean, uh, do you think that the uh, mainstream analysis and India have to really change to challenge, uh, challenge the development model? Like, we have always equated development models to say roads, fireworks, but do you think that there is something inherently wrong in this kind of idea? Like, you know, if we talk about, like, the low human index, uh, it's... it's okay, I gave you a question. Second? Se I agree. Second so question? The, the second question is about uh, how the media functions. For example, you talked about Anahad and becoming a zero. 
So uh, CWGs can happen, and then uh, shortly after that, Anna Hazari became the hero. Everybody forgot about the CWG scam. So I want to say that is it just that media goes by the TRP, uh, you know, the TRP hype, or is media very proactive in this? This is very strategically being done. Like media actually manufactures the lies and manufactures these. Okay, ma'am. Okay. Proactive and All right. Yes. There's a, a, a professor. A, yes. Yes, please. Yeah. Professor Salman. Just now the lady raised what I was saying. Uh, please speak into a microphone, sir. And so the others can also hear you. I'll, I'll be devil's advocate for a while. Please, please. <laughs> Ask me a tough one. Hold it, yeah. Hold it closer to you, sir. Oh, I see. I said I'll be the devil's advocate and. Uh, Against the temper of this, uh, temper of this uh, panel and the mood of the house, I mean we are all talking of the negative things about Modi. Now the developmental aspect that towards which the lady has hinted, and which leave aside the first fall achieving that one of you pointed out, was coined actually by Manmohan Singh perhaps. He said, and then Mr. Modi picked it up. Of course, but this developmental activity basically on the fundamentals of economic parameters like GDP growth and uh, you know, so and we all know about that. And that was projected about uh, Gujarat. How much would that have affected? The neutral chat that we are talking about, okay. besides the social engineering. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, uh, you know, we have very little, little time, so I'm just going to exercise my judgment. We take the one gentleman over there, one gentleman over there, and yeah, one or two at the back. Keep your comments and your questions as brief as possible, please. Yes, yes. So there is something new we have noticed in the recent weeks. The BJP has been celebrating figures such as Nehru and Mahatma Gandhi, which have historically been associated with the Congress. Uh, what do you believe are their intentions of doing so? All right. Okay. I definitely don't believe it is peace or liberal politics. Okay. Also talking about Sadat Patel. Yes. Uh, please. Uh, but uh, take take the mic. Hello. Everyone. Before I ask any question, I must pay a compliment to you. I don't know, it's still yet to be seen whether these elections have changed India or not. But you have certainly changed from a journalist to an author. Okay. You you seem to be suggesting that an author is a higher species than a journalist. <laughs> Modi chapter in your book, you say my verdict is that Modi government was utterly incompetent as it was aware that Godra violence could set up a cycle of engines and yet did not do enough to stop it. So therefore do you mean that he or what should I say BJP government at that time Gujarat was a puppet government and its curator was Pramit Togani of PhD? Alright, alright. That's a good question you raised. Uh, look, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many hands up, and we have limited time. I'll tell you what. Uh, let's take the microphone. Quick, quick questions, please. Quick questions. I, I, I'll take a few more questions. Hmm? Uh, my name is Mr. Speak into the microphone. We can't hear you. Put the microphone on, please. Go ahead, please. My name is Academy of Studies. My 
question is, do you think that the Amadi party played its part in sports for Congress? The okay. other question is, do you absolve Modi or the state government of Gujarat of the rights of the All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, we can stop it. Uh, I think I'm going to take this as the last question. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll give a chance to the lead. Yes, please. Okay. All right. Uh, I know many of you have questions. We have limitations of time. Rajdeep is here with you. you he'll try and take your questions at a personal level offline. So I'll ask uh, Rajdeep to, to uh, res respond to all of you. And uh, yes, please. Go ahead. You want to make an announcement? Yeah. We have high tea outside. So after this uh, event, uh, he's going to be around. So a lot of you could probably be able to talk to him and ask questions. He's already, you know, performing almost close to two hours now. So, can I just request my colleague Rumi Nagvi just to ask the last question? All right. Please. Yeah, Rumi. Rumi, just ask us. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, okay, I was just uh, looking at last four or five months, and I thought, you know, if this guy has to last five years, you know, so the high, uh, he's like, you know, probably fighting an election in December, January again. As you say, this clever man, he could drum up anything he wants. My I am a bit afraid. So I really don't know where this takes us. You said this was like 84, you know, Rajiv Gandhi. I really don't know where this is going to take us. It's a bit scary sometimes, you know. It's too much of a hype, you know. All right. I think I've said, I've responded to that. Let me respond to what I think is, you know, a question that has been asked in the context of the book. Have I absolved Modi of 2002? Uh, because I do refer to uh, Praveen Togadia as being the ringmaster in a way. And people see that as, I have absolved Modi, I have absolved no one. I mean, you call someone incompetent, I don't know whether that's to be seen as, I, I, you know. No, you know, look, look, I, you know, let's be honest. Words like complicity are difficult to say, to use as easily as you can in a television program because you've got to prove complicity. If you read Manoj Mitta's book, it is much more powerful in questioning the role of the Gujarat government in terms because it is a book around the fiction of fact-finding. Uh, my sense is that no riot in this country takes place without some element of complicity or incompetence of both of the government in power. And that's been the history of every Indian riot, with no exception. And Gujarat was no exception. Mr. Modi can claim that he was in power only for four or five months, therefore he could not control Praveen Togadi at the time, who controlled the VHP which ran the streets of Gujarat. That is not absolving Modi. That's offering Modi, that's his explanation. I am to some extent in agreement with the fact that Praveen Togadia was the man who ran Gujarat at the time in terms of he had control over the cadres. But at the end of the day as chief minister, you have to accept responsibility. My problem with Mr. Modi always has been he never accepted what I am saying today. He will never accept that Praveen Togadia ran, uh, ran the streets of Gujarat because for him that would be seen as a sign of weakness. And Mr. Modi throughout his political career and you will even find now in government will never admit to mistakes. I don't recall in all these years Mr. Modi ever confessing that I have There is no self-doubt in the man. Which is also going to be, you know, which is a weakness to have. Because when you are in power, you need to realize that you may make some mistakes, that you could be doing something wrong. So, please, it's not an, I'm not absolving him, but I'm trying to offer an explanation as to what happened at the time. So, I think that's... The only other question largely come to media, saffronization of education, role of the media. Look, you know, I am no defender of my tribe anymore. I don't know how I can defend the media. 
I find it increasingly difficult to defend journalists and journalism anymore. Uh, Saffronization of education remains a big challenge. And I think that really is going to be one of the issues where, you know, because these issues don't come out in the public domain on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, you know, who you appoint vice-chancellors, how, how syllabi are changed, that doesn't often make headline news. And I think that is a concern. I just hope that journalists don't lose their power of questioning. That is my only, uh, you know, and, and I still am, as I said, I remain hopeful in the long run that there are enough journalists in the country, whether it's a Paranjoy, someone else, who will always raise tough, uncomfortable questions. And in the age of digital media, I don't believe you can stifle voices. You may not allow them on a television channel. You may not allow them even in newspapers to write columns. But somewhere or the other, information will, will come out. That is why we will never be Singapore. Narendra Modi wants to make India Singapore because in Singapore, if you ask questions, you will be locked up and put in jail. <laughs> you see, but India will never be Singapore. We are a mad country. We are a country where if you tell Indians ki queue mein reh jau, Indians will always break the queue. That's the way we are. And that's good. That's in a strange way, our capacity to always question, our capacity at dissent is I believe an important point. And you sir raised the question of the Gujarat growth model. Let's be honest. Gujarat has made progress in key areas under Mr. Modi. Infrastructure has gone to another level like in, in the power sector. Jyoti Gram has been an extremely successful program. So as a leader, he has every right to go across the country, particularly in UP, which has a terrible record on power, to go and say, please contrast Gujarat to UP. And I think as, that's what I said. The opposition will now have to offer an alternative to that. You can't say that Lalu and Nitish will come together and we will defeat Modi. You will have to then tell the people of Bihar, how am I going to make Bihar a better place for you to live in? Then you, uh, you know, incidentally, I am a Bihari. Very good. But and, and, and I'll conclude by saying that the one thing that I believe is that this is the most aspirational country in the world. And in that, whether you're Hindu, Muslim, tribal, Dalit, anyone, we all want our children to have a better life than we had. We want India to move much faster. And political parties and leaders who recognize this impatience for change will be rewarded by voters if they are able to in some way satisfy that demand. I don't think we are a country that can run anymore on dynasty, which can run mainly uh, anymore on entitlement. And I think that is the big change in a way that Modi represents. I say in my book, he is in a way India's first post-liberalization politician. This generation which is growing up 18 to 23 has grown up after 1991. They haven't seen this neo-middle class that Mr. Modi keeps referring to. Could be the pizza delivery boy. It could be someone whose father was working in the village, but he has come to the city, he is a pizza delivery boy. He wants his life to be made better. Modi is very attractive to that young man today because Modi is selling him a dream. If the dream turns into a nightmare, you can be sure that that same boy will reject Mr. Modi. But if Mr. Modi is able to even offer 50% of that dream and the other side is not able to provide an alternative, then Mr. Modi is here for the next 10 years. Alright, thank you so much Raji. For being very candid in answering a host of questions from all of us here, including me. Let me hand over proceedings to Mujib. Yeah. Uh, I just have a small announcement. Uh, there is a you can buy a book on the on the back side. Uh, Penguin st stall is there, and it's uh, 450 rupees for students, and you can come over and uh, get it signed by Rajdeep. And we have tea outside, uh, high tea outside. And those who have questions, you can come and talk to him.